Our scripture reading is uh, 1 Kings 18. I do apologize if y'all are going through Heidelberg. It's, uh, I believe it's Heidelberg, Lord's Day 28, uh, on the Lord's Supper, a wonderful Heidelberg. But I'll leave it uh, to Nick to catch us up on that one later, if that's where y'all are at. But uh, 1 Kings 18, our scripture reading this evening. It's a text of excommunication, so as a visiting pastor, it's always good to come in and preach on the doctrine of excommunication. <laughs> uh, no, but... Uh, there is actually excommunication in here, but uh, yeah, First Kings 18, our scripture reading this evening, we'll read with thanks be to God. Hear now the word of the Lord. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with water, uh, bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may we may find grass and save the horses and the mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself. Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my lord is not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. As soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. As as has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? He answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. And Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450, 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, I'll call upon the name of Yahweh. And the God who answered by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, 
and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and prepared it, called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves as their custom, after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me, and the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar the Lord had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. He put the wood in order to cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And fire, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of, rushing, of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up and drank, ate and drank, to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the mount, top, of the mount, top of Mount Carmel. He bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees and he said to his servants, go up now and look toward the sea. He went up and looked and said, there is nothing. He said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. He said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So far the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that you who have given us your word, Lord, that you would make, uh, seal this word upon our hearts, the gospel upon our hearts, your law upon our minds, that our lives, our wills will be devoted to your truth, a truth that transforms the word of God, that changes the word of God that gives life, breathe upon us these words uh, through your minister. May the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. May the words be sound and true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Every person, idea, thing, or pleasure in which you place your ultimate hope will consume and destroy you. Because the gods of this world only take. The gods of this world only take and they destroy. Only Yahweh gives. 
And that is the truth of 1 Kings 8. Yahweh is almighty and Yahweh alone gives. Yahweh is the only almighty and he alone can give us all we need, the comfort we need for body and soul and life and in death. Place your hope somewhere else and everything will be taken from you. The Lord gives. We also know from Job that the Lord takes away. But if we also know, if we read the book carefully, that the Lord's taking away is also the Lord's giving. He does chastise every son, daughter he receives. He disciplines those whom he loves. But his taking away is always his giving. The title of my sermon this evening is God Gives. The truth of our text is Yahweh alone gives. Yahweh alone is almighty. Yahweh gives. We read in 1 Kings 18 verse 1. The text says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. That third year reminds us of the preceding narrative. Yahweh stopped the rain. He stopped the rain in Israel because Israel was committing idolatry, worshiping the Baals. Baal's the storm god. So Baal's the god of rain. He's the god that takes care of the rain, at least in the springtime. But then at some point, usually around July, the god Mot, the god of death, takes, takes Baal, you know, and uh, takes him away and and so it no longer rains until the god Anat comes around the wintertime. Is that when it rains here? Winter? I'm not sure when Anat works here, but when the, <laughs> when the rains come again, right, that's uh, Anat has released Baal, and so it rains again, and this cycle continues over and over again, and Yahweh says, no, I alone am a god. So he stops the rain for three years, right, Ab- above and beyond the normal cycle of uh, weathered patterns to prove that Yahweh alone is God, Baal is false, Yahweh is true. He took away the rain to destroy false worship in Israel. But he took away, the Lord takes away, he took away the rain to destroy false worship, but he took away the rain to secure true worship. He also took away the rain to curse Israel. It's part of the cursings. It's part of the the curse sanctions in Deuteronomy. If you go after false idols, you will be cursed with drought. So part of the taking away of rain is the curse sanctions of the covenant with Moses, the Mosaic covenant, that Mosaic economy. But that taking away is also a blessing because the idols are nothing. Idols are not true. Idols have nothing. Idols can do nothing. Worshiping in idols is foolishness, so God stripped the land of this idolatry because Yahweh's the creator. Yahweh holds all creation in his hand. Yahweh holds everything, right, children? He made heaven and earth and all things in them. And God is, Yahweh is our everything. And so God, we, we, we need Yahweh. Yahweh is the God alone who gives, the almighty who gives. There's only one God Idols are nothing. Yahweh is everything. He saved his people. And so he saved his people through this discipline. And that's the truth of the New Testament. We read in Hebrews 12. I quoted it a little bit earlier. But Hebrews 12 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. So according to discipline, according to Hebrews, Discipline is your hope in adversity. It's the truth that God loves you. Actually, the suffering, right? We look to the, the world looks to suffering as truth. There's no God. We look to suffering as truth that he loves us. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Discipline. The adversity is not his wrath for the Christian. The adversity is his love because sin kills. Sin takes. The gods of this world always take. 
Sin only takes. It lies to you. You think it gives, right? You think it gives you something, and so you go after it. But the sin actually only takes. It only kills. It only destroys. And God wants to take that sin away. So he disciplines to give life to those whom he loves. So in times of trouble, times of trouble are times to repent. They're times to trust God's law. For God is there in the pain even to give you something better. And that is Christ. So it's the third year, and the rains were very severe, it says, in Samaria. So Baal's not working very well in Samaria. And Yahweh has let the rains come back. The rains were coming back. The times of trouble were passing. The smile of God's providence were returning. And so Yahweh gives Israel, he, they, he gives them a prophet. So Elijah, verse 2, went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe, it says. And Ahab called Obadiah who was over the household, the text says. And then we get this parenthetical that says, now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. That's code word for he sought first the kingdom of God. So Obadiah is one of these guys who, who follows the Lord. He feared the Lord greatly. He sought first the kingdom of the Lord. And we read that verse 4. When Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah. So we have several characters here in our text. I should back up. We have Elijah. We're familiar with Elijah. Oh, there, there might be some Elijahs in this church today. Some children named Elijah, perhaps. Um, Ahab. Guys, children, you know who Ahab is? Kids, you know Ahab? Ahab is basically Israel's worst king ever. Ahab's like the grossest idolater in Israel ever. He's this terrible person. He killed God's people. He was a gross idolater. Obadiah here is the man of God. He's, a, he's the character of the, uh, of, of, of the offspring of the woman. Jezebel, who's Jezebel? Do we remember Jezebel? Jezebel's actually the real threat in the story. Jezebel, Jezebel's the real evil in the text. When you read, when you read these texts, uh, this narrative of Ahab, 1 Kings uh, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, as you start to read the story of Ahab, you really realize that Ahab's just kind of this pawn. He's, he's a very weak king. He just kind of makes, he wants to make people happy. I mean, the only reason, he, he's not a true believer. He's not a true believer in Baal. He's not a true believer in Yahweh. He just wants to make his wife happy. Jezebel's the true believer. She's the real antichrist of the story who hates God's people and, and wants to kill and destroy. And here Yahweh sends Elijah, the man of God, to Ahab as proof that, that God was giving to Israel. He, 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 he wanted to give to Israel. He wanted to bring the rains back. He wanted to restore proper worship. So he gives. He sent this man of God and so we have these characters, and we see that Ahab, again, not a believer. He's only really concerned with, concerned with livestock. It says, verse 5, And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water, to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass. We'll save some horses, right? Let's go out and look for grass. His concerns were practical. Again, Jezebel's concerns are spiritual. She's the true believer in the family. Not a Christian believer, obviously, but the evil. She's an idolater. Nevertheless, they both had the same God. I believe Ahab's God is his own belly. And Jezebel's gods are these false gods, but they both serve the same uh, end, and that end is nothing. Their gods are one and the same, nothing. Now, Obadiah is different. Obadiah is actually different. The text stresses he went another way. I think it's very interesting. Verse 6 says, so they divided the land between them. Obadiah, and the text says, Ahab went one direction by himself. Obadiah went another direction by himself. And I, I think that's kind of a parable of these two men, two ways to go in life, you know, uh, Obadiah goes the, went the narrow way. Ahab went the broad way. In his way, he finds nothing. He gets lost. 
He can't find grass to feed. Obadiah goes another way. He finds a man of God. He goes this other way and he finds the man of God. He said, he, he recognized Elijah, verse 7, on his way. He says, on the way, behold, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized and fell on his face and said, is it you, my Lord, Elijah? He answered, it is I. Go and behold, tell Elijah I'm coming. <laughs> I'm coming. So they literally went uh, different directions. And in Ahab's direction, he can't find anything. And he can't find anything because the gods of this world do, do nothing. The gods of the world only take. And Obadiah found them found the man of God because Yahweh gives. And then we read, he answered him, is I go tell, you know, Ahab. And then we have this interesting part of the story where Obadiah begins to, uh, he, he, he begins to uh, be concerned for his own health. You know, he says, if I go tell Ahab, Ahab's been looking for you. If I go tell Ahab, hey, I found you, I found Elijah is here. Well, we know what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to take you away and send you off to minister somewhere else. Uh, Ahab's going to show up, you're not going to be here, and then he's going to kill me. What have I done? I'm a man of God. Why would you, why would you uh, uh, put me in such a situation? And Ahab, excuse me, Elijah reminds him or comforts him with the word saying, no, surely, verse 8, 15, as the Lord of hosts lives, whom I stand, I will surely show myself to Ahab today. And this, uh, this little sermon of uh, Elijah's work, Obadiah was obedient. He went and met Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So o Obadiah was, was, was concerned because he lived in a religiously hostile environment. Uh, we've already read how he had to exercise his religion in private. His religion was secret, ha hiding the prophets, secretly keeping them alive. He lived in a very hostile world, a hostile climate for his religion. It's the same hostile climate that the early church, the world of the early church, uh, the early church lived in a very hostile environment. You know that little fish symbol that we put on our bumper stickers? Do we still do that here in this valley? Do we put the uh, little, the ichthus, right? The ichthus was a, was a symbol that the ancient church would put on places of worship. Only those in the new, only those in the know would, would see the ichthus, that little fish symbol. And they knew that was the place of worship. And now we place them on on bumper stickers and so forth. I grew up in the Bible Belt, and the ichthus was everywhere. You had to put the ichthus in your business. If you didn't have the ichthus on your business, you wouldn't get hired. If you were a plumber without an ichthus in the yellow pages, so when, literally when you open the yellow pages, I'm not kidding, you open the yellow pages, it's all these fish, just fish symbols everywhere. And every truck, every plumber, electrician, like every business, lawyer, doctor, ichthus. That's because that Christianity, that was a, a positive world for Christians. Where you see the, 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 the ichthus everywhere, that means Christianity is thriving. It means it's good to be Christian. Positive to be Christian. If you're over 40, that's the world you grew up in. This positive Christian world. Or if you live in Nampa or, or this uh, Boise area, it seems like it's a very positive still. I'm not sure y'all have reached the neutral world. The neutral world, that neutral Christianity is the world that you 30-somethings grew up in. That's where... Uh, Christianity was neither, was neither good or bad for you. In the positive Christian world, all of us over 40, we grew up in this world where it was good to be Christian. You used your Christianity. You put the ichthus on your business cards and on uh, your yellow pages and so forth because it, it was good to be Christians and ministers were highly respected in the community and so forth. That positive Christian world gave way to the neutral Christian world where in the neutral Christian world, 
uh, Christianity was neither, is neither, was neither positive or negative. And so you kind of learn to keep your Christianity somewhat to yourself because it, it, it didn't help you at all in any way uh, in, in culture and society. And then that world has now passed into what they call the negative Christian world where actually being a Christian is a threat. Christianity is actually a threat in the negative Christian world because our morality doesn't match the morality of the day. And today Jezebel wants you worshiping on her altar or else, or excuse me, she wants you worshiping on they, their altar or else, right? That's the world we're, we're now in. I saw the negative world when I was at the hospital a few weeks ago. I was talking to a nurse. She said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a minister. And then she quietly said, oh, I'm a Christian too. And I'm like, why are we whispering? <laughs> we're whispering because it's a negative environment for Christianity. That's the environment of uh, Obadiah here. It's the environment that's slowly, quickly becoming our world our morality doesn't match the morality of the day. And uh, I pray it doesn't get as negative. I don't know how negative this world is going to get. I pray it doesn't get as negative. As part, and we have, to be, we have to be mindful as Christians, right? Uh, this negative world exists throughout the world, places of, like China and North Korea and the Middle, Middle East. And I, and I pray that our world doesn't get as negative as, as those parts of the world. And to that end, let us pray positively that the church sticks to the Great Commission that the church remembers her place in this world is the place to preach the gospel, right? To preach the law and the gospel. Uh, cultural warriors, cultural war, the cultural war, it only takes. In the end, it only takes. It's the gospel that always gives. It gives salvation. I know it's, it's painstakingly patient, slow work, but one uh, soul at a time. But I do know that in this negative world, we do not have to fear because chapter 18 is here to remind us who's really in charge. Jezebel can't find Elijah. She's been looking for Elijah. Interestingly enough, Elijah's been in her hometown this whole time. Her gods don't help. She cannot find Elijah. Ahab can't find grass for the animals. If, it's gonna, if there's going to be grass, as grass is going to be found. If there's going to be rain, if there's going to be life, Yahweh must give it. Yahweh must give. The gods of this world only take, only Yahweh gives. If Elijah is going to be found, if there's going to be life, Yahweh will give because Yahweh gives, God gives. That's the truth of our text this morning. Verse 15, and Elijah said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will surely show himself, myself to him today. So Obadiah went, met Ahab, revealed himself to him, and Obadiah uh, the text continues to go, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? You troubler of Israel. Why was Elijah the troubler of Israel? He's the troubler of Israel because he's the one bringing the word of God. In the negative world, the negative world doesn't like the word of God, right? The negative world doesn't want to hear the word of God. And so anyone who believes the word of God is, is the troubler. The one who believes simply the word of the Lord is the troubler and ironically, it's also the one who believes science, reason, and history. That one's beyond me, but that's what it is. So the troubler is the one truly who disbelieves the word of the Lord, disbelieves his natural law. And the real troubler is the one who falsely worships, according to verse 18. And he answered, Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. It's your father's house. It's you. It's, it's your father's house because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. So Ahab didn't worship as the Lord commanded. He changed the truth of God for a lie, worshiped the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. 
And so the real trouble, according to this text, the real troubler in the world is idolatry because idolatry, idols are figments of man's imaginations, man's commandments and opinions. They are nothing. They provide nothing. They only take. If we need real comfort, and we need real comfort in this world, real comfort in life and in death, we need Yahweh. We need true worship. True worship alone gives. Now, therefore, he said, verse 19, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now we see Elijah's in charge, no longer Jezebel in charge. Jezebel was in charge of this last chapter. Now Elijah's in charge. Ahab just does what he's told. He's a passive agent. Elijah takes over and he calls for a worship service. He wants Israel congregated at Mount Carmel so they might know who the true God is. Now, Mark, Mount Carmel is an interesting place. Mount Carmel is a border, a border uh, place between Israel and Syria. Syria was the land of the Baals. But Mount Carmel is interesting because Mount Carmel is where the Baal cultists believed that Baal slayed the sea. They believed that Baal's the storm god, and on Mount Carmel he slayed the sea. Elijah knows this. And so he picks Mount Carmel because it's the perfect place for a real slaughter to happen. So he picks Mount Carmel to take place to prove that Yahweh is the one true God. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel, gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Now we see the, a new character is introduced. That character is Israel the nation. And they are limpers. They're weak. They're weak because they've been following this idol, this idolatry, this false worship has caused them their weakness because that is the truth of false religion. False religion only takes. It is only the word that makes strong. It is only the truth of God's word that, 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 that gives life. And false worship is that which only takes. It makes these limpers. Uh, it makes weak people. False worship. Want their ears tickled? Because you can have the word, even in false worship, word not rightly divided, a word that's there to tickle the ears of its hearers, uh, to keep them tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine of, of the cunningness of man so they never settle on the pillar and buttress of the truth. And what you find in our culture today is that weak people need, uh, weak people need uh, supermen. Uh, our culture loves the, the spiritual hero and the religious guru and the more fame and the more of the following, right, the better. Because our culture, our, our culture, our world loves popularity. We find, that, we find some kind of peace and comfort in the popularity of our ubermensch, of our supermen. And so we see that the weak people need the masses. We got the masses in our own text. He says, call these 400, call, you know, the 850 prophets. So Ahab sent and gathered all these prophets to Mount Carmel. They all come. They're limping along. If, and he says, how long will you go limping between these two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I'm the only one left. So you got all of these worshipers. You got, you got this whole dramatic uh, mega church happening over here. And here you have Elijah, one man. One man, one truth. And truth is all that matters. Baal had the numbers. Baal looked stronger. It was the happening place, as we'll see in a moment. It was extraordinary. It was exciting. Their worship was just really exciting, extraordinary. They had the smoke machines and the laser lights and so forth. But, uh, but uh, 
But Elijah had the truth. He had simplicity, but it was true. Truth and simplicity. So the limpers, they all flocked. They all flocked to this mountain. They come and they build the altar as, as uh, Elijah said. They built the altar. They picked the finest. Uh, 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 Elijah let the Baal cultists go first. Hey, you guys go first. They pick their, the finest bull. They go up and slaughter it. They're doing everything they can, but the text says it was quiet. And it's interesting, they, they limp, they, they, the, uh, now we're introduced to the Baal worshipers, and they are going, they're crying out from morning till noon saying, oh Baal, answer us. There was no voice, no one answered. And then the text says, and then they limped around the altar that they made. Now they're limping. They're limping because of false worship. Again, false worship only takes. They're doing all of this for this Baal who does not hear, who does not, who does not answer because the gods of this world only take. They never give. They never give. And they should have, it should have been easy. They're on the home turf. It's the storm god. Uh, water, you know, uh, he could bring lightning. He should easily uh, light the sacrifice. Easy contest. But Baal was silent. His worshipers limped. The worshipers of Baal are as weak as their false god. And I love, I truly adore Elijah's response. Verse 27. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, right? Spiritual sarcasm. Sarcasm is important. Uh, not on Twitter, maybe, but uh, sarcasm could be used uh, quite well to convey truth, to sarcastically rebuke uh, stupidity. And uh, sarcasm done for the, for the glory of God. And so Elijah's sarcasm here reveals the stupidity of false worship. So he mocked them. He says, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps, he, perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. The sarcasm reveals the stupidity of man-made religion. Man-made religion, it's always a religion that's kind of centered around man, right? The idols of, of man-made religion are always like us. They're prone to be uh, perhaps on a trip seeing distant, distant relatives, they're prone to, uh, be, uh, to fall asleep on the couch or to be lost in a good book. Where's the God? Well, he's lost in a good book. He can't answer. Perhaps he's uh, fallen asleep. He just slayed the sea. You know, that's hard work. So he's resting. And, uh, but the whole point of this mockery is that Baal's limited. Baal's limited, so all he can do is take. He can take their pain as they, as they begin to slice themselves with, with lances and javelins and blood is coming out. And the text says they raved and cried aloud and they're giving Baal their all. They're giving everything, their own life, their own blood to Baal, but he's silent. He does not answer. Nothing in return. All he can do is take, take their life, take their time, take their pain. And he gives nothing in return. Nothing in return but silence. A limited God, a limited God means you cannot always expect him to show up like Baal. If God is not all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present, then we cannot expect all good from him. If God is limited in any way, if God is limited in any way, then his goodness will be limited. And that's the truth you need to take to your Arminian friends. If God is limited in any way, then his goodness will be limited. He will leave and forsake you. He will abandon you. He will lose you. 
And he is not able to work all things together for good to those, for those whom he loves. You see, a limited God cannot give. Always. He can only take. And he will take. And he will take away your hope. He'll take away your assurance. And I know this because I used to be, I, I didn't grow up reformed. I grew up with a limited God. And my assurance was always my resolve. When I would lay awake at night in bed, because I was trained by my church to count my good works, and I knew who I was, I would, I would, I would, I would sleep in bed in fear. And the only thing that would give me confidence was I would tell the Lord, I'm going to try harder tomorrow. And I would sleep under the confidence of my own abilities. I'll give the Lord, I'll do better tomorrow. And it was always the same, right? Every night, every week. A limited God cannot give. He can only take, and he will take your assurance. There will be no peace. And a limited God will eventually consume you. But a limited God is as real as Baal. And so we read in verse 28, they cried aloud, they cut themselves as their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out. It gushed out upon them. And at midday, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. They made their worship real by making it exciting. And it was probably very extraordinary. Elijah was probably sitting back going, this is wild stuff. <laughs> this is very exciting. This is entertaining. But nothing. There was nothing behind it. Just the will of man, man's opinions, will, man's commandments. So nothing really happened, even though there was a lot going on in this text. There's a lot going on in this worship service, but nothing happened. Silence. That is the power of false worship. Nothing. Exciting. Yes, smoke machine, laser lights, all of that, exciting. Nothing. Then Elijah did what the church has always done. After all that passes away, he simply stands up, he says, come near to me. People came near. And then notice, he starts to do the word of the Lord. He repaired the altar, because that's what God commands. He took the 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to the which the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. The 12 signs are, are a picture of Israel's identity. Israel's identity is worship. It's your identity too, right? It's the identity of this church, Christ, uh, Christ Church. Christ Church, Nampa? Is that right? Something like that, sorry. Because it was Nampa. I, I get confused. Anyway, Christ Church. I was at Providence early this morning. Yes, Christ Church, Christ Reformed Church. Christ Reformed Church, your identity is worship. The identity is acceptable worship, and that's what we see, we see Elijah here begins to do acceptable worship because worship is, it makes God's people who we are. And true worship is, it, it gives, it gives us Christ, and that is our identity. Our identity is our righteousness in Christ. And so he begins to fulfill the word of the Lord. And, and with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench, so he digs these trench around it, and he pours a bunch of water on it. He wants to show that uh, Yahweh's the true God, no possibility of spontaneous combustion here. If anything, it's going to be the word of the Lord. If the offering is going to be consumed by fire, it must be the Lord. And then notice, it says verse 36, and at the time of the offering of oblation, that's a very important text. It's very subtle. You might miss it. And at the time of the offering, Elijah came near. You see, he's not just worshiping at any time. He's not worshiping as he wills. He's following Torah. 
It's evening worship. It's evening prayer. So he comes at the right time. He waits. He's waiting. You know, he has all this done, digs the hole, the water. He waits at the time when God calls his people. And then he simply, without all the extraordinary, just ordinarily, simply prays. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Yahweh. Answer me that this people may know that you are Yahweh, you Yahweh are our God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And because Yahweh is the God who gives, the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. This water, the, the fire fell from the sky because there is one God, the Lord, He is God, He is God alone. Baal was slain. And so in biblical fashion, excommunication, right? Here's the excommunication text. He, he rounds up, he says, gather all these Baal prophets, 450, that's a lot, right? 450 prophets, he gathers them all up and he slaughters them, slaughters them there at Mount Carmel because they're the real troubles of Israel. They were the real troublers and he executed to remove the evil from the land. Baal was slain, it rained again. And it rained again because Yahweh is not limited. It rained again because Yahweh is sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over human affairs. It rained because God works all things together if the counsel of his will. It rained because Yahweh alone is God. And if Yahweh is God, then Yahweh must be worshipped with reverence and awe. And that's the question of the text. The question of the text is this. It's very simple. Choose this day whom you will serve. You will serve either Yahweh alone who gives... And you will get all you need, comfort, body and soul, and life and in death, or serve and follow the world, the gods of this world, who will only take, consume, and destroy. It's an easy, it's an easy choice. But not everyone goes and takes the right choice. That's what Christ says in Matthew 7 13. He says, I quote, enter by the narrow gate. We know the story. We know the, the text, Matthew 7 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads